Hey everybody, welcome to Super Bowl Sunday. Today's message is called, You Must Have This. What must each team have tonight to win the Super Bowl? Well, it's undeniable. You need more points. You gotta have more points. It's just not gonna work any other way. You're not gonna win. You're not gonna get what you really want as a Super Bowl team unless you have more points. That is the point of today's message. Here's the one thing you need to have. We're tracking with Abraham and Sarah. And here is the very first lesson. Like, first 11 chapters of the Bible, here's all the problems. Now, solution time, and here's lesson number one. Here is the number one lesson that God comes to teach. You must absolutely, undeniably have this. Everybody, I have been fascinated. I've been studying the brain for years. And then recently, Really seeing the connection between the brain, what was talked about a few weeks ago, the Ruach of God, the Ruach of God. You have a Ruach, I have a Ruach, the Holy Spirit Ruach. God did not give you a spirit, a Ruach of fear. God did not give you a brain of fear. And all of a sudden, all these verses just started whoosh, coming to a brand new level of understanding to me and practicality, like in my everyday life, like, oh, yes. Here is how I can do better. Here is how I can live a more fulfilled life. Here is how I can be more in sync with Jesus Christ. Here is how I can get what I want. And when I started seeing that connection, which I want to bring out more today. I know we've been talking about it. I want to bring out some of this more today. Oh my goodness. This is how you and I get what we want. Now I've encouraged you to write down in these nice notebooks, right? What you want according to that really important Bible verse, Habakkuk 2.2, 2. write the vision down. So take the time to write it down. It's very important now for today. Writing down what we want. I want to think specifically about this. What does your brain want? What is it that your brain has to have in order to be happy? What What is that thing? Now, the brain is the most powerful part of your body. It's really important that it gets what it needs, that it gets what it Wants. I want you to think about this. They're doing a study on 1,100 priests and nuns. Yes. Here's the reason why. This is what the, the, the person who is the study supervisor or whatever says. Why priests and nuns? Because you can find them easily. They're really findable. Like their lives are tracked and they live similar lives, similar diets, similar lifestyles, similar daily schedule. So it's not all these variations. So you say, hey, you know, yeah, but this person's going through this. No, no, there's a lot of similarities. So it clears up a lot of the confusion in the testing. What are they studying? They're studying their brains, specifically Alzheimer's. And here is what they found. So after some of these priests and nuns die, what they do is they dissect their brains. They figure out what was going on in their brains. And this is what they found. They found that they have some whose brains are being ravaged by Alzheimer's. Yet, here's the baffling thing. They're showing no indications of cognitive decline while they were alive. And yet their brains were being ravaged by Alzheimer's. How could that be? How could they not be showing any signs of cognitive decline, even though their brains were being ravaged by Alzheimer's? And then they realized this as they studied their lives. There is a way to protect your brain, that your brain needs something. And the way that you do that is social connections, number one. 
social connections. Number two, you never stop learning. You never stop reading. Man, it brings to whole new life that verse that, that verse that says we worship God with our minds with our minds that never stop growing and learning. So social connection protects your brain. Even from the ravages of Alzheimer's, you never stop learning, growing, reading, doing crossword puzzles. Now, what puts it in rapid decline? You guessed it, loneliness. Number two, anxiety. Loneliness and anxiety, that's what your brain doesn't want. And it actually speeds up the damages that Alzheimer's can bring to your brain while social connection and learning and growing actually protects your brain. This is what your brain wants. This is what we want to study today. What is it that makes your brain feel good and happy? What is it that your brain says, I must have this? Now, everyone, here is how important social connections are to us. Now, I am not an expert in all the philosophies of the world or religious movements throughout the history of time. Okay, I'm not. But I do know that some of the most popular ones are leading us kind of away or detaching ourselves from other people. Like that's what it means to kind of reach that final place where you're detached and you're completely alone. I just need to be really clear. The Bible is going in the exact opposite direction, okay? It tells us right at the beginning, and this is so important. God says, it's not good to be alone. The word righteousness that is used in the Bible so often is about being in a right relationship with God and a right relationship with people. I just need to impress upon you the importance of this point, okay? You can't be in a right relationship with God and not care about your relationships with other people. They're hand in hand. So when Jesus says, love God, love others, He's not saying, here's one, here's two, just get, you know, get one right, you're okay. No, he's saying, here's one and one, right? That, that's the essence of what's going on in that. So that's why God says, first negative statement in the Bible, not good to be alone. You need other people. That's why Jesus says, you know, you're standing all the way at the altar. You've been standing all day in the heat of the day in a very long line in Jerusalem just to finally get to the altar. And then all of a sudden, oh my gosh, I forgot my relationship I have a disconnection with a friend or a family. And he says, just leave the altar after you've been waiting there all day. Okay. But what about God? No, no. He said, no, no, go ahead. Because you got to make that, you got to make that right. And the very famous Lord's Prayer, Matthew chapter six, at the very end of it, unless you forgive others, God won't forgive you. What is that trying to say? It's trying to say that you can't just say, hey, well, me and God are right. Me and God are right. And it doesn't matter about the other thing. No, this is how important social connection is. This is what your brain is demanding that God gave you, your Ruach. That our relationships need to be righteous. And that is both vertical and horizontal. Hey, how about that verse? Husbands, if you're going to pray and yet you have not been respectful to your wife, you've mistreated your wife, don't bother praying. I don't know how much more clear you can get than that. So all of that brings us to lesson number one. Here's the very first lesson, the very first instruction. There have been no instructions in the Bible to this point, zero. Here's where the instruction begins. And because it's number one, it really means a lot, everybody. Here is what is most important in God's eyes. Lesson number one to Abraham and Sarah, and that is family. You gotta build a family. You must have a family. God chooses Abraham and Sarah. 
God doesn't choose a king as normally would happen or a general as normal or a big name, big shot person. Like the people of Babel in Genesis 11 were building a name for themselves. And here you have a no-name couple. The most basic of things. That means that's all of us. It's not some of us. It's all of us. Abraham and Sarah are all people. This no-name couple. And it's the most basic relationship. The relationship between a man and a woman, a male and a female, a husband and a wife. It's the most basic thing. And God is saying, you got to get relationships right. You must have this. You must have a family. Now, I want to address something Right here as well, because I know some of you are thinking, okay, tomorrow is Valentine's Day and you're talking about family and my family I grew up with wasn't really, you know, wasn't the best or I really, really want to get married and I'm not married. And here's another message right here before Valentine's Day is going to make me feel bad. Jesus was single. Jesus was single and Jesus came and built a family. He built a spiritual family. That's what this message is about today. Don't get hung up. Marriage is great. I'm not saying anything bad about marriage. Marriage is awesome. Romance is great. Cupid, all that stuff, okay? That is fantastic, but don't miss the point. It's a social connection that's healthy, that's strong, that's where it needs to be. Jesus Christ built a spiritual family He built them person by person by person by person around him, and so can you. And this is what the wisdom of God's word is showing us. So let's just read the story. I'm going to try to read it without interrupting myself because the story is just really, really great. Genesis 12, starting in verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but will let you live. So say you are my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. When Abraham came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that Sarai was a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And she was taken into his palace. He treated Abram well for her sake. And Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants and camels. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarai. So Pharaoh summoned Abram. What have you done to me, he said. Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her to be my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men, and they sent him on his way with his wife, and everything he had. Okay, so very interesting story. Very interesting story. Did you catch that as I was reading it through? I mean, we've been talking so much about these principles here. What is the state that Abraham is in? Like, these are his very first ever spoken words in the Bible. That's super important. Where, what, from what place is he speaking from? He's in fear. He's in total fear. So he's backed up into his old brain. And the old brain is the fight, flight. It's where we don't make good decisions. 
Uh, it's not the voice of wisdom. It's not the voice of reason. He's backed up in the old brain. He is filled with fear. And in fear, he just starts reacting because in our new brains, prefrontal cortex, that's where we plan. But in the old brain, you know, when you, when you see the lion, right, the fight or flight, you just react. Okay. And so you're kind of on autopilot. And this is what he's doing here. He's just reacting. Do you notice he never takes time to pray? So God has brought him to the land, instructed him. Now tough times have hit. There's a famine in the land. He immediately goes into fear mode, gets out of his new brain, doesn't bother voice of wisdom and reason say, Hey God, what should I do? He doesn't bother doing that. All these great things God has said to him. No, no. He just starts reacting and he just does what autopilot tells him to do. And he hightails it down into Egypt. And he speaks his very first words were spoken in total fear. They will kill me. Now I want to emphasize something to you. So this Dr. Judd Brewer, who we've talked so much about, he says his number one solution that he has seen when it comes to anxiety is mindfulness. He says at the beginning of his book, he's talking about Matt Damon and the movie he made Martian where Matt Damon stuck on Mars all by himself or whatever. And he says, I got to science the, and I won't say the word, but he's got to science the blank out of it. This is what Dr. Judd does. He says he's a neuroscience, so he's going to science the, we'll just use the word heck. He's going to science the heck out of the situation. And he says the number one thing that he's seen is mindfulness. This is something that Abraham is not using. He's using mindlessness. He's gone into that fear mode of his brain, and he's just simply reacting. Autopilot, everybody, is a dangerous pilot. Autopilot is a dangerous pilot. Mindfulness is not mindlessness. And mindfulness, and we'll get into this in a few minutes, is a whole lot like meditation. That is, That word is used constantly throughout the Bible. So Abraham, no prayer, no instruction, no consideration of what God is saying. He's operating out of fear. His first words are basically, they're going to kill me. He says to her, how they're going to see how beautiful you are. So what is he? He's looking at the exterior. He's looking at what that old brain fight flight looks at. He's looking at the surface level where that new brain wants to go deeper, thinking, planning. God says, I don't look at the outer appearance. I look at the heart. I'm looking at the content of the character because that's where God goes in scriptures. This is so important. I know I've said it before, but here again, this will clear up a lot of verses for you. In scriptures, sight is deceiving, okay? Adam and Eve see the tree and are deceived. So it's deceiving. He says, they're going to look at you and be deceived. He's looking at her and he is deceived. He's resting not on the new brain and character. He's speaking out of fear. Then he says, deny the marriage. He's asking his wife to deny the most important relationship in his life, his marriage to his wife. She should be closer than anybody else. And he's ready to throw that relationship, throw that vital connection away because he's operating out of fear. He's not thinking, he's acting mindlessly and he's just reacting. He is on autopilot. I can't tell you how many stories I have heard of people and the statistics I've read about this. Okay. How many people over the past couple of years have lost a relationship with a close family member or a friend because they're so immersed in fear and it's driving them and they're not thinking and they're not reacting. They're, they're only reacting. They're not, they're not producing wisdom. 
They're not using reasoning. And now that relationship's broken and it's gone. Everybody, we have got to take control. Of course, the things that we've been through in this country are alarming, but we've got to take our lives back. We got to get out of that fear. We got to stop allowing the media and social media to immerse our brains, to dunk our brains in fear every day so that we make bad decisions, so that we are living with all that anxiety in the old brain. You're never, this is undeniable. You will never get what you want. You will never live the life that you want when you are in a spirit of fear, as the Bible says. You have got to take your life back. You have to stop that flow of anxiety. So Abraham makes a terrible, terrible, he basically is pimping his wife out for his safety. This is the dumbest decision he could ever make, but he does it because he makes it from a place where his brain is completely immersed in fear. That, my friends, is not of God. How many relationships and those connections are so important to you? Could we get back if we would just get rid of all that fear? Stop immersing your brain in the fear of the media, in the fear of social media. Stop, stop, stop it. We have got to do something different. So here's some really important things that Abraham learns when he's down in this land, okay? He learns what it's like to be treated unjustly. He learns what it's like to be a stranger in a strange land. He learns what it's like for somebody to choose lust over justice. That's Pharaoh. I mean, that is just a terrible place to be in. And here's also what he learns, that God's ways and God's standards are true everywhere. Everywhere. We talk about Abrahamic monotheism, everybody. I used to think, okay, what was the big deal? You know, one God, why is that such a big deal? Why why the theologians or Bible people put such a heavy emphasis you know, on this one God thing. Here's the reason why. Because the thinking back then, now it's going to connect to you in a second. The thinking back then was, okay, maybe God is the God over here in the land of Canaan or where Abraham is, the land of what we call Israel today, right? Okay, maybe, But he's not down in Egypt. Egypt has a different God. So God's ways work here. They won't work here. And so Abraham goes down here. He's like, okay, maybe God's ways don't work. So I'm just going to have to acquiesce. Pharaoh comes to take her. Oh, she's my sister, <laughs> you know? Take her in your palace and do whatever you want to with her, okay? And what God is saying by striking down with these serious diseases is God saying, no, 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 this is monotheism. There is only one God. My ways work in Israel and they work in Egypt because my ways work everywhere. The principles and ideas of God's word, we are tempted sometimes to say, you know what? It worked back then and back there, but it's not going to work for me right here, right now. You got to cut that out. It is going to work right here, right now, because the principles and the powerful ideas of God's word work everywhere. You should respect your wife. You should respect your social connections. You should treat people right. You should get out of fear and make wise decisions and rational decisions based on truth, based on wisdom and build strong connections. That just works here, there and everywhere. Okay. It's like green eggs and ham. Do you love them in a car, in a train, in a plane? Oh yeah, God's ideas work everywhere. Up there, down there, all over the place. God's ways work. This is why Jesus Christ says his words will never pass away. This is why the Bible says that the ideas of God's word never, ever, ever return void. Okay, everybody, so now check this out. Here's what the text says. To Pharaoh, she's nameless. Sarah, she's nameless. She's a piece of meat. She's an object. 
It's terrible. To Abraham, well, she's just my sister. Just take her into your harem. Okay? She's just my sister. But to God, she's Sarai, Abraham's wife. Huge difference. What's lesson number one? Respect the connection. Respect the connection. Social connections. Treat people right. Treat people in godly ways, according to the ways that God is revealing in Scripture. Treat people right. There is a standard, everybody. Super Bowl is tonight. Who makes up the rules? Do the players on the field decide about the rules and the fouls and the penalties and throwing the flags? No, you'd have total chaos if the players on the field did that. The NFL head office decides all of the rules and the principles that the game is going to be played by. And then the players have to play by them. And if they do, things are going to go well. And if they don't and they reject it, total chaos. Same thing. Over and over again, it started with Adam and Eve all throughout the Bible and all throughout history. We try to say, no, God, we'll do our own thing. We'll do our own way. We have discovered these great truths on our own. No, we haven't. No, we haven't. I mean, please, read the life story of some of these brilliant intellectuals that we've had through life. Brilliant. These people are, are, are brilliant. Shelley, Rousseau, Hemingway, Marx, the list goes on and on. Their personal lives, their personal relationships were absolute disasters. And yet we say, oh, we can do it on our own. Everybody, that's never worked. It's never, ever worked. God introduced us these principles that great relationships, God did, not us. We, God gave them to us. We didn't discover them on our own. And when we reject them, everything falls apart. Everybody, please just, just look at history. It is the way it works. Listen to what historian, uh, Paul Johnson says this. And to put this in context, he is talking here about the Jewish people who have produced the Bible. It was written out of an ancient Hebrew context, written by mainly all Jewish people. And he's talking about these great principles that have been introduced to this world. Please consider this in social connections, which your brain so desperately wants. This is what it says. All the great conceptual discoveries of the intellect, they seem obvious and inescapable once they've been revealed. But it requires a special genius, and we talked about genius a few weeks ago, to formulate them for the first time. The Jews had this gift. To them, we owe the idea of what? Historian Paul Johnson says, to them, we owe the idea of equality before the law, both divine and human, of the sanctity of life and the dignity of the human person, of the individual conscience and so of personal redemption, of the collective conscience, and so of social responsibility, of peace as an abstract ideal, and love as the foundation of justice, and many other items which constitute the basic moral furniture of the human mind. Without the Jews, it might have been a much emptier place. Your brain must have social connections that come from the very teachings of God. And here's lesson number one to Abraham and Sarah is that you have got to respect the social connection, the relationship, the sanctity of this relationship between Abraham and Sarah. And it can't just be tossed away. It can't just be thrown out as if it was nothing. No, 
This relationship is extremely important. You must have this connection. Now I want to talk about oxytocin. I want to talk about oxytocin that is produced in your brain and the effect that it has upon you. Uh, where do you get it? How do you get more of it? What does it do when you have it in your system? Okay. So stress produces cortisol and cortisol is the M enemy of oxytocin. That's why you got to get out of that old, old brain, the fear filled brain. You got to get away from that. You have got to stop the flow. Please. I know I keep saying this, but you've got to stop the flow so you can make better decisions that get you what you want. Okay. Stress is the great separator. It is the spirit of fears. First Timothy one seven says, so what does oxytocin do in your brain? It creates social bonding. That's what it does. It increases your trust level so that you can have great relationships. This is what it brings to your brain. It reduces fear. Again, so many friends and family have lost that connection because they're making decisions immersed in a huge vat of fear inspired by social media and media alike. Oxytocin protects your brain. It makes your brain happy and it calms your brain down. Now check this one out. Oxytocin in your brain reduces your cravings and it reduces the power of addictions over your life. Thank you, Jesus, for oxytocin. It is wonderful. It produces positive feelings. It lowers your blood pressure and it protects your heart. In women, when oxytocin's at the level it's supposed to be in, women feel more safe and secure. In men, men are more sensitive and more manly, more sensitive and more manly, a trait that women seem to really love in husbands. When husbands have healthy levels of oxytocin in their system and they're shown a picture of their wife, the beauty of their wife goes up. When they're shown a picture of another woman, their brain dims. Their wife looks more beautiful. Other women look less beautiful. And they also notice this by happenstance, that when men have high levels of oxytocin that are working and functioning appropriately in their body, they just naturally physically distance themselves from other women. Thank you, Jesus, for oxytocin. Okay, so oxytocin, how do you get it? Number one way that neuroscientists say you get it, particularly Dr. Judd, he says it's mindfulness. Other scientists say it's meditation. Very similar, mindfulness, meditation, you're paying attention, you're engaged. Dr. Judd says, who's written this incredible book that's highly, highly recommended, says that mindfulness is the number one way that he has seen through his research that you pull anxiety down. So it's really important. Mindfulness means to pay attention. And for Dr. Judd, he used to think that mindfulness, he says, he thought was emptying his mind. He realized, no, 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 it, it's filling your mind up. It's filling your mind up with, with great truths. It's filling your mind up with the things that your brain wants. To me, it sounds a lot like meditation from the Bible. Check these verses out. So important. Joshua 1, the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you'll be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you'll make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Not just any success, you'll have good success. The teams in the Super Bowl tonight, they don't want just success, they want good success. They want more points. This is how it's gonna happen, by giving your brain what it needs, and that is the truth of God's word, okay? Check this out. 
Psalm chapter one, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. That sounds fantastic. Fantastic to me. How does it happen? Meditation, mindfulness, paying attention, filling our minds up with great truths, not great stress. Okay. Meditation. What does it do for your cortisol levels? What does it do for oxytocin? Meditation, prayer, mindfulness, lowers cortisol, raises oxytocin. Raise. That's the stuff in the new brain. That's where you want to get. Meditation and prayer allows for oxytocin to have full impact on your brain and on your body. When you meditate, it increases the frequency of oxytocin that is delivered into your system. It's there more often. Meditation in women greatly enhances the production of oxytocin. In men, meditation, and are you ready for this, guys? It increases the level of testosterone, Okay, that's what that's what we feel when we're happy. It increases the level of testosterone and oxytocin, creating the effect of what I said a few minutes ago of having a trait of being more sensitive and more manly. Again, a trait that women absolutely love. So to review, how do you get more oxytocin in your brain? Prayer, meditation, worship. Yes, science says worship, music exercise, and taking care of a pet. Do those six things. Meditate, pray, worship, music, exercise, take care of a pet if you have one. We must, our brains want this connection. It's how our brains feel happy. It's how our brains actually are protected. Okay. God is saying to Abraham, treat your most important connection, your most important social connection as a spiritual family, not a cheap motel. Just to give to Pharaoh, say, do whatever you want with her. As a spiritual family, build a strong spiritual family, not a cheap motel. What do I mean by that? Well, when I, um, when I interviewed for the very first church that I ever served, it was up in Maryland. It was up in Maryland across from an army base. And the pastor of the church took me out for the interview at the local McDonald's. And we're there during the day and a huge fight breaks out in the parking lot at the McDonald's. And I knew I was in the right place at that moment, man. It was just a wild scene. Well, uh, during college, while I was still on staff at this church, I got married to Krista. Um, and it was a wonderful thing, but it presented challenges for us as a young couple because we would have to drive down out of Pennsylvania where I was going to school every weekend. And the church decided to find a place for us to stay. They found the cheapest motel across the street from a huge military base. Now, everybody, what do you think went on there all night long? I mean, mainly they weren't used to renting rooms for the night. They were used to renting rooms by the hour. Okay. And so they were cheap, nasty, disgusting rooms. We only stayed there once. The cops were in and out all night long. This is the way Abraham in fear is treating the most important social connection that he has in his life. He's treating Sarah like a cheap motel. Like she's here and gone. You need to build a spiritual family that's here and it's here to stay. It's not here and it's gone overnight. That's how important. And this is what God is sending a message to Abraham about. Do you have that kind of family? 
Is that your spiritual family that's here and it's here to stay? Many of our relationships, and as I've mentioned a couple times, we have just cast aside out of fear so many relationships over the past couple years. That is no way to treat our relationships. That's no way to treat our spiritual family. Did Jesus build his spiritual family that way? Did he just kind of come and go? Or did he say, I'm with you always. I'm sticking with you. Look, I often hear this, that the essential cornerstone teaching of Jesus Christ is to love your neighbor. It's not. It's not to love your neighbor. Your neighbor is somebody who is just like you. Okay. And all of a sudden, like, even like church, okay, I feel like they're all my neighbors. We're all just alike. And all of a sudden you discover there's problems and it's like, okay, well, I think you're a stranger now. Bye-bye. I'll see you later. The Bible hardly ever tells you to love the neighbor. Hardly ever, ever. The book of Leviticus is where we read it for the first time. It tells you to do it one time, but it tells you almost 37 times, I think it's 36, 37 times, love the stranger. There you go. There's the bedrock Christianity right there. Love somebody when they aren't like you. So when you get married to somebody, you discover, oh my gosh, you then you love anyway because that social connection is that important. You don't succumb to fear. You don't succumb to all the social media, all this stuff that we scroll through that puts us in a panic. No, you get out of that with oxytocin and you move to a place where you make wise decisions. You're building a spiritual family, not a spiritual motel. Now, what I find fascinating here, everybody, is the way that Abraham leaves Haran when God first calls him Genesis 12. And then after lesson number one, notice how he leaves Egypt. This is fascinating. Here's how he leaves Haran. God first calls him. So Abraham went as the Lord told him and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife, Sarai, and his nephew, Lot. Did you check that out? Who's the first person mentioned? Lot. Sarah's an afterthought, the most important relationship there. Now, they go through lesson number one in Egypt, and now he leaves Egypt. Notice how he leaves Egypt. So Abraham went up from Egypt to Negev with his wife, and everything is had, and as the afterthought, and Lot went with him. Got it. Bingo. Presto. He learned his lesson. You have to have this. Your brain is crying out for strong social connection. So please give your brain what it wants. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, God, so much for your powerful, guiding word that leads us towards what we truly want. Help us all, Lord, to protect our brains and to give our brains this gift you've given us, what it truly wants so that we might live the lives that we truly want. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. 